Hello, welcome to Hat Trick. I'm Jordan Dollar Coltman. Happy Easter, happy Passover, happy whatever you and yours celebrate over the course of what is really just a wonderful weekend to be amongst friends and family. We are glad you are joining us here on this Monday. We hope you had a wonderful and restful weekend as we get sort of properly into the spring season. We've got lots to talk about this week. Braden and Elliot are with me here. And uh, boys, before we get going, um, I wanted to first check in on both of you. Uh, did the Easter Bunny treat you well? Braden? Well, I was going to say he is risen. And that, of course, I'm speaking about Mike Smith, but we can get back into that a little bit later. Uh, yeah, the Easter Bunny treated me well. It treated me well with some uh, nice momentum for the others moving into the playoffs here. Elliot? Uh, yes, in that I had a very good Easter meal in which I mostly cooked, uh, but I've perfected the glazed ham. And, nice. Uh, and that went off without issue this week and was a big, big success. So really happy about that. Love it. All right, here we go. Here's topic one. Well, Braden, you alluded to it. Mike Smith had a wonderful weekend, back-to-back shutouts uh, for the Edmonton Oilers. And the Edmonton Oilers are rolling in the right direction right now. We have seen a wonderful turnaround. We haven't talked about them in quite a while now. Um, We had a lot of uh, sleepless nights in the early part of this year when the Oilers were really struggling to uh, put wins together. Obviously they fired head coach Dave Tippett since then. Jay Woodcroft has put together a very, very solid second half of the season behind the bench for the Oilers. The big guys have been moving both uh, Connor and Leon um, continuing what we've seen over the last few years of just putting absolutely insane points up on the board. um, And obviously putting both of themselves back in conversations for the heart, And for the MVP, I know they will have a hard time beating the Toronto media, who is just absolutely infatuated with Austin Matthews. We'll talk about that in a second, but let's talk about the Oilers first. They find themselves currently with six games remaining on the schedule, uh, comfortably in second place. Obviously, Calgary is the first team in the division to clinch a playoff spot, thanks in part to the Oilers beating the Golden Knights on Saturday. The Kings are still very much in contention for second place, so it'll be exciting last six games to see how this shakes out. But as you look forward to the playoffs, which is at this point basically, an, uh, uh, you know, it's an assured thing they're going to make the playoffs. It's more a question of where they finish unless the absolute bottom falls out. And look, we're Oilers fans. That could always happen. But <laughs> at this point, when you look at how the Oilers have found themselves, the form they're in to steal a term from European soccer, how do you feel as an Oilers fan? Um, middle of April. Well, I'm feeling uh, thrilled that we find ourselves in a um, home ice advantage uh, position. Uh, the momentum that I alluded to earlier as well, I think is something that I'm excited about. And, and I think at this point in time, the fact that the media is more focused on another team than my own uh, gives me some uh, solace knowing that that pressure and attention that usually gets in the way of some sort of um, the way in which Con- you, you see Connor and Leon um, affected by the media and what's going on around them and not having that kind of attention, I think is, is helpful going into the playoffs. Uh, right now it's about who are they going to face? Who are they going to face? Who would we rather face the Kings, the night, the golden Knights. I was pretty afraid of, I uh, would have said, you know, right around the time they added Jack Eichel to the roster. And now having seen their last game, you know, like there's a, 
it's nice to see that there's a system in place to be able to uh, match up nicely against the Knights. But at the same time, the, both the Kings and the Knights have had a little bit of a fall off lately. And the Canucks are on a five-game win streak. I would not hold out the idea that they could sneak in. They could very well sneak into uh, a position to place the Oilers in the playoffs. Um, I don't think the Vancouver Canucks are going to make the playoffs. Um, they basically have to run the table from here, and that's an additional seven games. And that might not even still guarantee them in because they've just, they've just run out of games. Um, it's too bad because I think the Canucks are a really exciting team. And I think there's lots of prospects for next year. Uh, but this year that's something that they went in and, and the mess that has been their team and coaching changes and issues with ownership and GM and all that stuff has really hurt them. Good example of a team that uh, waited too long to make a change. Edmonton almost waited too long, but they didn't. Jay Woodcroft has come in and been amazing. What I think is sensational about this year is if you take out that 2-11 and 2 stretch or that awful stretch in the middle of the season, uh, the first had the you know the first 15 games and the last 20 games of the season, but the Oilers, they've been one of the best teams, if not the best team in the league, which is sort of incredible. Uh, you know, I'm kind of interested to throw it back to you guys in terms of what you think the difference is. I think the, the obvious answer and the simplistic answer is that they're finally getting NHL level goaltending. Uh, and that's probably the difference. Just having that kind of quality of start from their goaltending has really made a difference for this team. Um, but maybe there's some other things as well, too. Look, I, I'm really excited. It, it, I, every day I check the standings and it's like, oh, six more points. Oh, four more points. Oh, if this team loses... Um, they're in. I, I just can't wait until the others have that X beside their their name, and because after that, it's all gravy for me. I'm just just really want to see this team in the playoffs, um, and you know, hopefully finding a way to win a, a series or two. Uh, and just to reiterate, you know, Brain's point: if you had told me at the beginning of the year that Las Vegas was not likely to make the playoffs with seven games to go in their season or six games to go in their season. Like, I would not have believed that. And I don't think that would have been a, like a viable thing to say. But as of today, that's where they sit right now with a much more difficult schedule for their last six games than the teams that they're chasing, namely the Kings, who have a much easier schedule. So those are sort of my initial takeaways. And uh, yeah, it's a pretty fun time of year. Yeah, I would agree. I think one of the more impressive things when you think about how Jay Woodcroft has turned this team around is that he's done it obviously largely without many major additions, the two big additions, Derek Broussard and Brett Kulak have been very valuable um, to the Oilers. I would, I would argue, I think that they were, you know, they're not flashy by any means, but they do, they did sort of serve important pieces. Certainly the, the Kulak um, move, especially um, being a move that just bolstered a little bit of a, uh, what we know to be a weakness for this team in, in the fact that the defense has been a question mark. He adds just a little bit of security. I think back there is a more defensive guy, Braden, uh, and Elliot, I think you both touched on goaltending. That's a huge part of this. Obviously, um, both Mike Smith and Koskin are starting to play to their potential, which is nice to see. I don't know how this works in the playoffs. I think we're going to see one of them have to become the guy, um, which I'm curious to see how Jay Woodcroft sort of manages that. Obviously you go with whoever's hot, I guess, but what happens when you're in a series and it's two, you know, two, one or something in a series and you lose that third game, do you just throw that goaltender 
to the bench and go to the other guy. What if that's a loss in overtime after a really good game? Like, how do you manage the fact that you have two guys who expect some minutes? Um, so that's an interesting challenge for Woodcroft. Um, but I also really like some of the things he's done that I think are almost, you know, kind of innovative compared to what we're seeing. The 11 and seven setup here is really fascinating. It's forcing some of his depth forwards into opportunities they didn't have under Tippett. We've seen that be successful. Warren Fogel's getting a little bit hotter. We've seen some of these depth guys just get minutes they didn't have before, especially early in games. I like that. And I think it's also taken some pressure off the defense to have that extra body back there. So I think Jay Woodcroft really has been um, a really interesting wrinkle uh, that has really, obviously the Oilers are playing wonderfully under him. I'm fascinated to see uh, some of these question marks getting answered into the playoffs and we'll see what, what kind of success they can have uh, because of that. As for the goalie dilemma, like there, it's always very clear whether or not a goalie should play in the next game or not. Like it, it, some of those games that Koskinen just, you, you're like, you're not making the saves. You're not doing it. And he gets pulled or he comes out and he's not playing the next game. Like those are, those are very, and the, the, the difference between when he does have really great games where he's making incredible saves and you can see him keeping the team in the game, uh, but yet they still lose. There, there is a, there seems to be, a strong difference between the Mike Smith that we saw earlier in the season to the Mike Smith that we're seeing right now. And so I do think that it is playing the hot hand and that they will continue to, to ride Mike. I mean, Mike Smith will likely get a rest here and they'll see how much cost can work can go into Koskinen before the playoffs. But I do think right now for me, Mike Smith is the guy going in as your, as your one a. Yeah. I think that the nature of just a seven game series and, and playing that way, uh, does complicate this. I think it's a lot easier to go like 1A, 1B in the regular season when you get into the series. Um, well, we've seen two years in a row where we, I think the coaches started the wrong goalie to start each playoff season uh, series and, and it's gone horribly, the Chicago series and then, and then uh, arguably Winnipeg as well. I, I want to circle back to Jay Woodcroft and ask you guys a question because it's something I've been thinking a lot about. Um, Jay Woodcroft is not under contract after this year to be an AHL coach, obviously. Um, and he's sort of been in this sort of show me situation. Has he done enough to earn a contract in your mind right now for the Edmonton Oilers? And if not, like how far does this run have to go before he has? I mean, yeah, I think he has. I think when you, when you make a mid-season coaching change, there's two sort of major evaluators you have to look at. Does the team get better under them? And then do you believe that that improvement is long-term or is it sort of a, a flash in the pan result of change itself? I think in this case, uh, I think both are check marks. I think we've obviously seen the team perform better, but I think that overall the response to him behind the bench has been so dramatically impressed, like so, so much of a, of a difference. It's, it's just worked in a lot of different ways that I think it would be unfair. Uh, and I think also very, very ill-advised as we've already seen so many new guys back there to, to throw it all back up onto, onto the whiteboard and, and, and figure out who else is available. This is a guy who's worked person. through your system. He knows the development players that are in your system. He works, he's, he's clearly put in the time to earn a spot in the NHL. If you don't sign him, he's going to go sign somewhere else after the numbers he's put up here. He will be an NHL coach next year. And if it's not for the Edmonton Oilers, then they are going to rue losing him because I guarantee you he will find yeah. success wherever he goes right now. He's just proven that so far. 
Yeah, I agree. The the fact that like what Jordan said that, that he there's a reason that he's been within the organization that dates back to Todd McClellan and and going down and developing a lot of the players that are on the NHL roster now. Um, and we saw this happen with Todd Nelson. I, I firmly believe that he should have been the head coach after after that season. I think that uh, you know he had a bit of a tougher task ahead of him, but that's what they were doing they, they, within the system. Uh, he he was you know that. That Bakersfield team is very, very good, and that has maintained that strength. And you're seeing that productivity now in the NHL with with what Jay Woodcroft's done. I, I tend to agree with you guys. The only thing I would say is one: I think you don't do it until you've got that X next to your name. Uh, it's very likely that they're going to make the playoffs, but I think until they make the playoffs, yeah, he hasn't done what he's needed to do yet uh, to have earned that contract. The only, the only apprehension I have is, and I do agree with you, Jordan, he is very likely to end up in the NHL somewhere next year. I think he's really advantaged in the Oilers organization right now because of so many of the players that he's coaching right now, he coached in the minor leagues. And you can see people like McLeod, Yamamoto, he, those are players, uh, Pooley RV, these are players, Bouchard. That, Bouchard, these are players that he's coached in the past and he has uh, gotten to gotten to a place where he's getting the best out of those players in those spaces. Um, the question becomes when you've got a new crop of guys in there that you haven't coached through the minor leagues, uh, there's going to be turnover as there is turnover every year. Um, is he still going to be able to perform and get that same level and quality out of folks? I have confidence that he would, but I think that's still an open question. And if I'm Ken Holland, this is my last coaching decision. Right. Like if this doesn't work, I'm done as the GM. And if you're Ken Holland right now, do you want to bet your career future on what is essentially an unproven guy at the NHL level? It just gives me pause. And so, it, the, uh, well, I agree with you guys that he should be the guy. I'm not 100 percent convinced, even if they make the playoffs uh, and particularly if they're out quickly in round one again. Uh, if he will be the guy just because of the pressures associated with, you know, Ken Holland. And yeah, this is his last coach. All right. Well, I guess we will see in the next couple of weeks here whether or not he is able to put that X beside the other's name as they qualify for the playoffs. We'll find. What out team would you soon. guys rather play, the Kings or Vegas? Kings for sure. Yeah, Jordan. I I think it's a. I would flip a coin. I think they're both playing at about the same place right now. The Kings have fallen off a lot, and I've enjoyed watching the Oilers play them in the last two times. It's been competitive games, but I think the Oilers are well-matched against them. They don't have Drew yeah. Dowdy now. For and they don't have Dowdy. Yeah. So. Well, and I, I just don't think that the Vegas team that's playing right now in the regular season is the Vegas team you're going to face in the in the playoffs. Like Everyone comes off a long-term IR. Yeah. Their, cap, their caps is, uh, goes out the window. They're like twenty million over the cap. That's a joke, but you know, like they, they've done what Tampa Bay did last year. So yeah, but they don't have the chemistry Tampa Bay had. So we'll see. That's fair. Um, as I say, we will find out soon enough who we will we, who will see the Oilers play against, where they will finish in the standings. Uh, we will soon have conversations about awards and about reviewing how the season has gone. We will get to all of that. For now, that is topic one. Topic two this week is brought to us by Ellipses Thinking. Ellipses Thinking is the newest podcast from the Ordinary Podcasting Network. Host Greg Deller-Coltman shares his conversations with people actively engaged in their own creative adventures, those who identify as artists, and those who choose to experience life through an artistic lens. They shed light on relationships 
that shape and inspire us as we meet the challenges, discoveries, and learnings we make when we courageously invite our creative spirit forth. The first two episodes of Ellipses Thinking drop this Friday, March 11th. You can subscribe or follow anywhere you get your podcasts. All right, let's get to topic two here. We are talking about getting to the playoffs and topic one for the NHL. The playoffs are well underway in the NBA. We talked a little bit last week, uh, Braden, um, about some, you know, let's call them controversial or inflammatory hot takes from guys like Shaq about whether or not the Raptors really had what it takes to go up against MVP candidate Joel Embiid and the 76ers. Uh, We've seen them play now one game. They are trailing Philly one, nothing in that series. Um, But the biggest news obviously right now is that the Raptors are facing some serious injuries moving into game two and potentially the rest of the series. Uh, Uh, Rookie of the year candidate Barnes will not probably play um, in the next matchup. I I mean, he's been considered, you know, uh, it's it's probably unlikely. I think it was the term that uh, uh, coach nurse used. So obviously not ruled out completely, but at this point, I think uh, very unlikely Um, they play uh, Tuesday or pardon me tomorrow. Monday. They play Monday and then they play again Wednesday uh, and the series could be, um, really swung here in the next two games. What 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 were your impressions of the one thirty one one eleven loss to start the series? And now that you know some of these injuries that the uh, Raptors are facing, how are you feeling as a Raptors fan here in the early part of round one? Uh, well, if you look back at the history of the Toronto Raptors in the playoffs, I think f- five of the six times they've been in the playoffs, first round, first game, they've lost even the year that they played uh, and won championship in 2019, they lost the Orlando magic in the first game. So I'm used to this. I'm, I'm comfortable knowing that there's a long series ahead. Uh, They did get thumped. They got absolutely thumped by Philly, but Philly had a lot of uh, energy having played the Raptors in the playoffs before and facing a lot, you know, heartbreak uh against this team before so going in uh, they had a lot going for them and i think that nick nurse and this team uh you know you heard thaddeus young talk about just how strong their scouting are for these guys you look at the stats that first game james harden was kept at 22 points joel Embiid to 19 and this is the guy who's this is the guy who's uh the leading the league in scoring and he's kept to 19 points in this game. They had a surprising uh, outing from their uh, sophomore Tyrese Maxey. I think he might be a rookie actually, but 38 points like that. There's, I think that's, that's like season high points for this guy. So that's not something I think that we should be expecting moving forward. Uh, but the loss of Scotty Barnes is going to be huge for this team. He is a, a very important factor for the vehicle that is the structure of what Nick Nurse does for this team. Um, uh, but we're going to have to have bigger performances from Pascal Siakam. OG Ananobi's got to step up. We got to see the ulcer that Fred Fleet is uh, moving forward here. I think that uh, I think that we will. Uh, I don't think that we're going to see the sweep that Shaq thinks that we're going to see. Uh, from this series, I think that there's still a lot of life left in this Toronto Raptors team uh, in this first round. Elliot? Yeah, I think the concerning thing for me is that going into this series, it really felt like if there was one advantage Toronto had, it was on defense. 
and they gave up 131 points tonight. So, you know, Brain did a good job of articulating some outliers. I mean, Harris had 26 points too. Uh, Maxi had 38 points in 38 minutes, which is insane. Um, yeah, ridiculous. So, so, you know, those, those may just be outliers and hopefully they are. Um, but I think my initial concern here is they didn't lose, you know, 101-98 or something like that, that this was a blowout and the, the strongest part of their team uh, wasn't able to deliver. And so that would be my concern uh, as a Raptors fan moving forward. You know, the nice thing on the score sheet too, uh, we don't always see is that every single, they usually keep, they usually keep the rotations pretty tight. You know, you'll see maybe six, seven guys in the, in the entire game. They had every single guy on their roster with a statistic in the first game of the playoffs. And, and many of these guys have never played in the NBA playoffs. So I think there's, there's something said just to get everybody uh, accustomed uh, into the into the feel of the game, uh, I, I think we're going to see a, a, a very different outcome in game two. So we'll leave the Raptors for a second here. I know you and Christian spent some time sort of doing some preview of the playoffs and expectations and things as you as you looked at what was going on around the league. When you look at uh, this first round, obviously everyone's only played one game so far, so there's not a lot of data, uh, let's say, to to, to go through. But what are the big storylines that you see emerging already as far as what you're uh, either surprised by or sort of uh, the status quo uh, sort of coming through for you when you look at this playoffs? I think what the, intrigues you? Yeah, the, the most fun right now, and when we saw it in the, the game uh, Sunday, was uh, the Boston – well, I shouldn't even say the Boston Celtics. I should say the Boston Celtics fans versus Kyrie Irving. I think that's going to be a storyline that we see. Obviously, he left – he having left Boston in um, unceremonious fashion – uh, re- returning, having all of this history of the season, not, not playing all of the home games in Brooklyn, being unvaccinated. If this Brooklyn team ends up facing Toronto, uh, he won't be allowed to play again. Uh, so there's even further uh, if, uh, storylines involving him. But uh, it, it's it's unruly what, what's going on. And this Boston Celtics team pulled out a, a, a last-minute buzzer beater uh, Jason Tatum with a spinorama on Kyrie Irving winning the game. And that's only game one. So that's, uh, uh, again, that's going to be a lot of fun to see just how, uh, how intense and heated that series uh, gets. Um, another, another interesting one I think to follow is going to be uh, the Timberwolves and Grizzlies, two teams that haven't uh, been in the NBA playoffs in quite some time, both with some high-flying prospects that they picked up in drafts from previous years. Obviously, John Morant is leading this Grizzlies team into the next generation of the NBA. And uh, Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns with Minnesota Timberwolves, who just snuck in with the play-in tournament. I think this play-in tournament is a lot of fun. I, I think there's something to it that adds the element from what the uh, March Madness tournament has of, of one-off games that mean a lot more to the, you know, to the team and, and to the, uh, the, the playoff tournament uh, as a whole. Uh, uh, what else? I think uh, it was kind of hard, heartbreaking to see the Cavaliers lose, not make it into the playoffs. They obviously had a very, very strong season with their uh, young players, but the Hawks, snuck in and 
they're going to get they're going to get swept. However, the Hawks, the Heat have it locked up, I think, until the uh, Eastern Conference. Well, I guess we'll see. Elliot, uh, any other thoughts on the NBA playoffs for you when you look at this? I mean, Braden mentioned uh, the great little spin move there by Tatum at the end of the Celtics game. And yes, he was technically making the move on Kyrie Irving, but go watch the replay and find out who was really supposed to be covering him as uh, Mr. Kevin Durant just stood there and watched it all happen. That was very awkward. Yeah, that that was my impression of that situation as well, Jordan. Uh, so and I'm glad you mentioned that. The series I'm looking at, is definitely the Bucks and Bulls, just because I love the Bucks, and I, you know, another stalwart defensive effort from them. I like mm-hmm. a good defensive team, and uh, I'm all in on the Bucks this year. If the Raptors and that's that could be that could turn into a really cool rivalry. I think just geographically, those cities are very very close to one another. So, you think? <laughs> I think so. I haven't been there, but I think so. Looking on a map. I think they're close. All right. <laughs> From All right. Finger well, to finger, go. they're much closer than we are here. I'll copy that. All right. I'm glad that we <laughs> use such a detailed and precise <laughs> measurement implements as our finger meters. Finger meters. Sports and geography here at Hattrick Sports. All right. Well, let's <laughs> let let's leave it there. That's topic two. Hey, if you're a fan of Hattrick Sports, then I promise you, you are going to love the Backyard Basketball Podcast. Hattrick's very own Braden Dollar Coltman sits down every Wednesday with his best bud, Christian Steck. And together, they break down all the news, rumors, transactions from around the basketball world. Whether it's the NBA or college hoops, these two guys love talking basketball, and you are going to love listening every Wednesday on the Backyard Basketball Podcast. All right, it is uh, that time of the week where we turn the mic over to Elliot to give us our Padres update. Before I do, Elliot, I just wanted to make a quick uh, note here. Uh, Something came up and I was very uh, intrigued by it. I'm sure that you are as well. Obviously, good start to the season so far for your beloved Padres. Uh, They win on Sunday, but in doing so, they also broke another MLB record, their second record-breaking event of the season so far. We talked earlier in the season how they had back-to-back no-hitters, which wasn't an, an, an MLB record. They now, uh, after going nine error-free innings against the Braves on Saturday, the Padres have broken the Major League Baseball's record and became the first team in baseball history to have no errors in their first 11 games of the season. So 11 games in, they have yet to give up an error, which is probably the dumbest uh, statistic in baseball because to commit an error, you actually have to have tried to get the ball and missed. Whereas if you just let it fall, you don't get penalized. So I've never understood or liked the error as a rule. However, the Padres are a big fan of it because it's put them in the record books one more time. Let's turn it over to our our uh, diehard San Diego Padres fan here, Elliot, uh, 11 games in, how are you feeling? Well, I think that's an excellent place to start, Jordan, because I think it really articulates what I wanted to highlight this week about the Padres, and that is the Bob Melvin experience. Bob Melvin is now the new manager that's come in to manage the Padres this year, uh, taking over after what's been a calamity of messiness in terms of managers uh, in previous years. Of course, I don't know much about that because I've only been a fan for about four weeks or so. Um, But this is the Bob Melvin experience. This is what you expected when you get a professional in a manager role. He came from the Oakland A's and uh, has really, you know, professionalized 
the, the dugout. And that's the type of defense that he's been preaching from the start. And if the Padres are going to have success, like I've said all year, uh, given all of my experience and knowledge of this team in this league, they're going to be a pitch and catch team. They're going to win games 2-1 like they did today, 3-2, because they just don't have the bats. And with Tatis out, that's this is just the way that they're going to have to play to have success. The other thing I want to highlight, another record that uh, occurred this week, opening day, Manny Machado went five for six, five hits on opening day. The first Padre to do that in some 20 years and only the fourth uh, guy to do it at home. And, uh, you know, we've been Manny Machado had not had a great start to the season in the first two series, um, but really came out and uh, and did something pretty spectacular. So my hat's off to him this week. Look, it's been a mixed bag there. They play in the toughest division in the league. San Francisco did give them a run for the money, but they did get a win out of San Francisco uh, in that series. And then obviously going two and two with the Braves probably at home, probably not the result that they wanted. Um, but six and five without your best player and uh, playing error-free baseball with uh, and, and pitching the starting pitching being what they, everyone said it had the potential to be as a Padres fan, you know, I'm pretty happy. I'm pretty excited. Um, well, and, and, you know, just speaking of records here, uh, you Darvish, who's had a up and down start to the season after having a tough outing a couple weeks ago or a couple uh, days ago where he was pulled after the second inning, but he wins this game against the Braves and his fourth strikeout of the day was registered as his 16th hundred of his career with just 1,302 innings pitched. So Darvish is the fastest pitcher uh, to 1,600 Ks by innings pitched. Uh, no pitcher has reached that milestone in fewer than uh, 1,350 uh, innings. So very, very impressive for you, Darvish, to get to 1,600 strikeouts. Uh, Braden, I know that for you, um, yeah. very quickly this season is turning for you. I know you started the season as a Blue Jays fan, but how quickly are you finding space on the Padres bandwagon uh, to sit your butt down? Why the fuck are we talking about the Padres? I like the fact that what did Elliot say? He said professionalize the dugout. I think we need to put that on a t-shirt. I couldn't believe that he could hold a straight face the entire time that he was giving off random statistics about professionalizing the dugout. Um, another impressive statistic on opening weekend was that of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. who went four for four. Three home runs and a double in one game. I think that's more impressive and much more in, uh, uh, captivating and uh, deserving of holding my attention in the baseball season. But as I was saying before, uh, if people are interested for some reason in watching the Padres, you can find them on TSN uh, channels uh, later into the evening as they play, uh, I, I guess, uh, yeah, they, they would they would be like a seven o'clock game. Uh you can catch the Padres on TSN here in Canada. That's the great thing about being a Padres fan that I've just discovered. You can watch. You the must Jays. love. You must love. The Jays that. game ends, and then you can go right into the Padres game. That's in the that's right after that because the time zones just line up perfectly. So I'm I want to ask you, Jordan. What? Uh, how about you? I mean, this is the most I've ever heard you talk about baseball, let alone statistics of pitchers. Uh, what is it to you about the Padres that just keeps you uh, coming back for more? 
Well, I just like to support my friends and family's uh, passions. And I think that for me, the biggest thing is that when someone I care about, you know, loves a team, even if I'm personally not interested, I feel like I owe it to them to kind of invest some of my energy and time. And I feel like that's what I've done here for the Padres, my good friend, Elliot Tanti. I mean, he has been, you know, really, truly swept away by, you know, this Padre season so far. And I, I just I'm really inspired and moved by it, frankly. Is it because you're a mascot and you have a thing for the the friar, the monk uh, mascot? Have you guys seen this thing? It looks like a a bizarre Disney. It looks like a Disneyland uh, mascot. I haven't seen that yet, but that that there you go. You've got me excited again. So I'm going to have to go Google that later. Um, Before we go here, I do think that we need to just take one moment in the baseball conversation to um, we're not doing hats off this week, but let's tip our hats all together here to Buck Martinez, the uh, broadcaster for the Blue Jays, who announced uh, this weekend that he has been diagnosed with cancer and is stepping away from the broadcast booth. Anyone who has listened to Blue Jays broadcasts here in Canada knows Buck Martinez's voice. It's, it's iconic. Um, he is certainly going to be missed in the booth and certainly missed on the Sportsnet broadcasts, but we wish him and, and uh, all of his family re- uh, around him well. We hope he gets better soon and quickly. Um, and just hope that, you know, uh, on behalf of all Blue Jays fans and all baseball fans in Canada, you know, we, we want him to uh, to know that we've, you know, we've got his back. We're supporting him uh, and, and hope that, it, you know, it goes well for him because uh, it's a horrible thing to have to deal with. And we will obviously miss his voice on those uh, broadcasts. Um, but, yeah, uh, as he fights okay. cancer, uh, we, we want to stand with him. And in the same breath, uh, I think it's important to recognize that of uh, Jamie Campbell, who isn't stepping away from the broadcast, right, but yeah. it was also... Uh, acknowledged that he has been battling leukemia uh, lymphoma uh, Hodgkin's disease and uh, uh, he has begun treatment but he will be staying with the broadcast in an effort to um, uh, show people that uh, the disease is uh, manageable curable and uh, you can live a very healthy and active life moving forward with it. So our hats go off to both of those two wonderful gentlemen. Our hats go off to the Padres and the Blue Jays and to all of their fans. Whatever bandwagon you find yourself on this weekend, we hope that there is plenty of room for others to join you. We thank you, as always, for listening to us ramble on about the things we care about. And uh, we want to wish you and your, your kind well. Please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you don't already, please subscribe. You can do that anywhere you get your podcasts. Thank you, Elliot. Thank you, Braden. as always. And that's Hattrick. Hattrick is a member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It's produced every week by Jordan Dyler Coltman and Braden Dyler Coltman. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. Didn't even get to Mackenzie Gore in his first. His first ever start, number one prospect in the Padres. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and tsleil nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, whose footsteps have marked 
these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.